Welcome to the Mission Church. Welcome if you're online watching us today. Yes, I am Pastor Keith. I'm the executive pastor here. And uh, Pastor Greg is still on vacation, but don't worry, he's coming back next week. And so don't fear, he will be back next Sunday. He'll be back next week. And uh, today we get to actually uh, move on to the next letter of the Church of Philadelphia and Revelations, with, uh, which I find kind of ironic and funny because Pastor Greg is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And so, of course, if Pastor Greg was preaching this morning on this subject, he would mention that. And so, in honor of Pastor Greg, I'd like to say that um, I am not a Philadelphia Eagles fan. (laughs) I don't actively root for them. And uh, actually, everyone in Philadelphia, all the sports teams, I actively root against. So, go Jets, go Mets, and uh, Philadelphia Phillies, I hope you have a losing season. The Eagles, I don't really care. They're in a separate division, so... Maybe if we see you in the Super Bowl, that'll be good. But for all the Philadelphia Eagles fans like Pastor Greg, this message is for you <laughs> and for everyone else. So the Church of Philadelphia, we're going to title this message as a test of time. Since the beginning of human history, people have marked the passage of time in various ways. God himself In 1st Genesis, he set the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the heavens as the first devices to measure time. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the days from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years. This measure of time was established right from the start. There was evening, and then there was morning on the first day. There was evening and there was morning on the second day. At some point, human technology took over. Increasingly sophisticated and elaborate means of measuring time, like the sundial was developed and water clocks and then pendulum clocks and then Swiss watches, which are so intricate. And then you have digital timepieces and now the latest technologies of a smartphone. If you have a smartphone in here, and you have no excuse to be late, because all you have to do is tap on it, and it tells you the time. With our apps and technologies, we know exactly what time it is all the time. So what is time, really? What is time? Physicists would say it's the fourth dimension. Science fiction writers fantasize about time Travel philosophers meditate on the significance of time in human culture. Various cultures mark time in different ways. Aged people wonder where all the time went. Notice how I didn't say old people, I said aged people. I'm proud of myself there, but then I just blew it and said old people. Old people wonder where all the time went. Young people think they have plenty of time. God, the creator of the measure of time, is, of course, outside of time. If you ever came to our encounter services, we've been studying in Genesis, and I had a study on Genesis chapter 1 that lasted two encounter services because we talked about all of the crazy things God did in chapter 1, and one of those crazy things is the measurement of time and how he is outside of time, which means He doesn't exist within the time frame of which he created for us to measure time. Pretty crazy, right? So what is time? But yet in Revelations 3.11, which we are studying today with the Church of Philadelphia, Jesus speaks 
these four amazing words to the church of Philadelphia. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one, one, eternal and outside of the realm of time. And yet Jesus uses a condition of time to warn the church of Philadelphia that he is coming soon as a measure of urgency. He tells the church he is coming soon not for them to be fearful. He's not scaring them saying, I am coming soon to make you afraid. He's saying, I am coming soon in a measure of urgency for rescue. I am coming soon as a measure of time, not as a punishment, for, but for rescue. This church of Philadelphia, unlike many of the other churches we've been studying in the Revelation letters, they were faithful against all odds to Jesus. They stayed faithful even when they were persecuted. I hope to show you that with this letter and the other letters that have, we have read and studied, that this statement made to the church almost 2,000 years ago was timeless, living in an active word. That means that God's word actively spoke to the church of Philadelphia then and still speaks to us today. Amen? That the word of God is active, living, breathing, speaks to them at that specific point and speaks to us now because the time of the word is timeless but is also time relevant because God is outside of time. Time doesn't matter to him, but when we read the word, it is relevant to us in this day where we are at. Are you following with me this morning? Amen. So we're going to read Revelations chapter 3, and I want to highlight each aspect of time that is pointed out in this passage, and we're going to relate it to us today. So the church of Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 7, and it reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down to your feet, before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Who dwell on the earth, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in, my, in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from the, my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, of, Spirit says to the churches. He is God who opens a door that no man can shut. Jesus speaks this powerful analogy in the opening of this passage, and he speaks that he says, no one will shut the door that I open. This speaks to the door of opportunity for us to walk through that door, but that door is open for a period of time. 
You see, in Matthew 7, 7, it says, Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. That door of opportunity is to receive Jesus into our hearts, to stay faithful to him, to dwell with him, and to be led by the Spirit. It's a choice to walk through that door, but that choice has a limitation on time because you don't know how long you will live and you don't know when Jesus is coming back. That door is open that only he can open and only he can shut, which means there's a limitation on time because it's relevant to our life, how long our life lasts and when Jesus comes back, which is imminent, which means we don't know when he's coming back. It could happen today. It could happen tonight. We don't know when he's coming back, so we have to be prepared and be spiritually right with Jesus. It's an open door now, but there's a limitation of time of how long that door is open. We don't know when that door is shut, and when that door is shut, no man can open it. Amen? Christ's statement displays his unmovable nature on the course of time. Throughout humanity's history, there's no action which can force God's hand. We see that in Isaiah 14. It says, who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? Who can stop God from opening the door and closing the door? No one. Jesus, Church of Philadelphia, that they were in a place because he placed them there. They were facing persecution. They were facing struggles. They were facing trials and tribulations, but it was no surprise to Jesus that they were facing them because they were faithful to him. But he placed them there through the struggle, and God was still with them. I think that's comforting for us today. You might be going through a struggle in your life, a trial, a tribulation. You might go, go through uncertainty, but know that God is with you. He is not surprised by what you're going through. You ever have a moment of prayer when you're saying, God, this is what's happening in my life. Don't you see? Don't you see what's happening? Why can't I hear your voice clearly? Why don't I have a clear direction, God? Why is there no clear instruction manual? Yes, the word of God is your instruction manual for life, for my spiritual life. But why can't you give me a step-by-step -step guide of what I am supposed to do next? Tell me what to do. Has anyone ever asked God, tell me what to do? Just tell, I, I want to do it. I want to stay fit. I want to make the right choice. Just tell me what to do. Can you not just verbally tell me what to do next? Why, God, do I have this uncertainty? Why, God, do I feel like this? Tell me what to do. And sometimes we don't hear that clear voice of what to do next. God is with you through that struggle. He is with you during that pain, during that uncertainty. God is with you through it all because he placed you here in this time period for such a time as this, and he's with you. But he's not going to give you a verbal step-by-step -step process of what to do. You have to rely on him to open up the right doors of opportunity, to lead your, yourself and your, your life according to his word and his wisdom and make the best decisions possible for your life with God leading you. It's a struggle. It's not easy. So no matter where we face in our lives, we have the comfort of knowing that God is God. God placed you where you are. God is with you. And even though it's hard, 
such as life. Because our physical lives are not forever. Amen? Amen? We have a spiritual life. But sometimes when we're in these places of uncertainty, it takes patience. Ugh. How many feel like you're a patient person? No one raised their hands. That's not surprising, but surprising at the same time. Patience is a time of waiting. You sit there and you wait. Patience. In verse 8, it says, I know that you have but little power, but yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Are you patient? To what degree are you patient? Being patient in the midst of a hardship is difficult. No one likes sitting around and doing nothing and waiting. No one likes to sit there and watch time pass by, especially in this culture that we live in where you can accomplish things so rapidly, so quickly now, but yet sometimes we have to sit and be patient and wait on God. That's not easy. It said in this passage, Jesus says, you have little strength, but yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. One of the identifying markers of a Christian is not only their faith and passion under normal circumstances, but also when life is at its most difficult. Your test of faith is not when you come to church with like-minded believers and raising your hands in worship. Your test of faith is when you face persecution outside of the church. God is saying, I see that you have little strength left because of the persecution you have been facing to the church of Philadelphia. He sees the struggle that you might be going through in your workplace. Maybe you're in an unhealthy environment in your workplace and your faith is tested every single day and sometimes you can't help but say, God, I need your strength because you're the only thing that will help me get through my day. God sees you, he's there with you and he's encouraging to you today. He sees that you have little strength but yet you have not denied his name through your lifestyle of being a Christian. He is with you. For the church of Philadelphia, the righteous legacy was that none of the, these things mattered when they were being persecuted. While it seemed the attacks against the church were relentless and drawn out, draining the congregation of strength, they still actively chose to obey the words of Christ and proclaim his names regardless of their circumstances. How many of you think that's a testimony worth living? Praising Jesus regardless of your circumstances. Our circumstances in life will change rapidly, but when we remain faithful and we praise Jesus regardless of our circumstances, then our faith will reflect Jesus. Our actions, our lifestyles will reflect Jesus. When we are small, when we are weak, that is when we are at the most opportunistic time to have Jesus show up in our lives. Paul says, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am humble before God. How many of you don't want to go before God pridefully? You don't want to go before God and say, I got this, God. You give me this prideful nature. No, we go before God saying, God, I am nothing without you. I can't do anything without you. I can't make even the simplest decisions without you. I need your spirit on a daily basis. I need you to lead and guide me. I am weak. I am a weak, weak person. But you make me strong. You complete me. You complete me because I am your creation. You created me in this nature for me to be humble before you, to need you, 
We need God. I don't know how Christians or how people who are not Christians do life. Because I need God on a daily basis because I am weak. I am stubborn. I need, I need him. And when we admit that before God, we say, God, I am weak. You are strong. And I patiently sit and wait for you to lead me, even through the struggles. The Philadelphians, the church of Philadelphia was weak and they were losing strength, but yet they persevered. They persevered. Perseverance is a time, a test, a time of testing. If anyone has ever trained for any type of a sporting event, competition, maybe high school sports, right, football, wrestling, basketball, tennis, any type of physical sport, racing, running obstacle course races, or any type of testing of your physical body, you have to train your body to compete. You have to embrace the struggle. You have to enjoy the pain. You can't get better without breaking your body down. You can't get better at perseverance without training and building your body up. You have to enjoy the breaking down of your muscles, the breaking down of your mentality, of your mind. Our competition is just as much about your physical condition as it is about your mental strength. Perseverance in our faith is just as much about our mental strength, our spiritual nature with God and our mental capacity of facing every challenge. We have to see a challenge and say, I can face this challenge. I can enjoy the pain because God is with me. You have to look at every obstacle that you have in your life, every moment of doubt that you have in your life and say, I can take on the self-doubt that I have because I have a firm foundation on Jesus Christ, the rock of which he built his church, the rock of which my salvation relationship is built on is immovable. It will not move. So every circumstance that I face, I will enjoy the struggle because it raises faith in my life. Enjoy the pain. That's a terrible thing to say over the pulpit because I don't know what pain you're facing today. And pain is, no, it's not enjoyable. But it's a mental declaration of saying, I can take this pain because I know God is with me. And even if I can't take the pain, he is still with me. He is with me through the struggle. When I am weak, he is strong. Rocky Balboa famously says, Nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't how hard you can get hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's about, it's how much you can take and keep moving forward. That is how winning is done. Rocky, who knew he had words of wisdom? He got hit in the head so many times, and yet he spits out these words of wisdom. He probably has the Bible in his heart. It's not about how much you get hit and struggles that you go through. It's about how many times you get hit and realize you can't do it without God. You can't stand up without God. You can't stand up without the faith of Jesus Christ in your lives. You'll, you'll get hit with life. How many know life is hard? Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is so, so hard. So many decisions. The older you get, the more complicated it gets. The more responsibilities you have, the more decisions that impact other people, right? The weight of those decisions it compounds. It compounds. That's why the older you get, the more wisdom you have because of all the decisions that you've had to make up to that point. But those decisions don't end. Life gets increasingly more complicated. And that 
is more of a reason why we need Jesus in their lives on an everyday, everyday basis because life is complicated and it is hard, but we have a God who promises to be there with you. And in fact, he, he celebrates when you go through struggles, but yet you remain faithful. He is celebrating with the Church of Philadelphia that they have gone through a struggle and persecution, but yet they remain faithful. And when he celebrates of that, he says, I am coming soon because time is running out. He's celebrating their perseverance, but yet he's giving them the rescue plan that he is coming soon, that maybe they don't see when he is coming, but at the end of life, you will see that he is running towards you. When you enter life and you enter the pearly gates of heaven, God is going to be standing there right there for you. But if he comes to us, if he comes and the rapture happens, which means that Jesus comes and takes us away, then he is coming for us. He is rescuing us because time is running out. No matter how you look, time is running out in your own life or Jesus is coming back in an instant at an imminent time that we don't know. Time is running out and he says, I am coming for you. He is coming In verse 11, when he says, I am coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one can take your, your crown, we have the promise of the second coming, that I am coming. The word soon has been standing over every generation for the past 2,000 years. Every Christian who has read the word of God and read, I am coming soon, has read that, those, that statement as if, is that going to happen to me? Is it going to happen during my lifetime? This should not trouble us because in our Second Peter 3, it says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And according to Psalms 90, a man's life is like a mist that appears but is gone by the evening, or like an evening watch that is quickly finished. Either way, he is coming soon. At the very end of Revelation chapter 22, it says, He who testifies to these things says, I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. John wrote that about 90 AD saying, amen, you are coming soon. Come, Lord. Every generation has a sense of the imminent return of Christ, as should we. Jesus could come back today. Amen. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will excite you. Jesus could come back today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And the reward of Jesus coming back is the proof of time. This passage is incredible because the proof of time, it says, all those who are victorious or conquerors will become the pillars of my temple of God. In verse 12, it reads, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. It's incredible because Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, experienced a devastating earthquake about 60 years before John wrote this letter to the church. So about a generation before John wrote to this church Christ's words to them about pillars. And pillars are exceptionally well known to the Church of Philadelphia because of this earthquake. So this earthquake devastated the entire city. It, it demolished the entire city. But the things that it did not demolish were the pillars of the important buildings in that city. 
So this generation of believers grew up rebuilding their city and could see that the things that they were rebuilding were based upon the pillars that were still standing. So these pillars of these monumental structures that were still standing served to them as a strong, a strong foundation of what can survive an earthquake like that. It's an incredible testimony. And so Jesus knows that when he writes this letter to them, when he says that the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar to them signifies the strength, signifies something that will last through time, something that is immovable because they've witnessed the pillars in their own city after it was devastated by an earthquake. And as a result of what the church had gone through and what was still coming, Jesus promised them this faithful group of believers. He promised them a reward beyond anything that this world could offer them. He gives them a new identity. He gives them his identity as Christians. He gives them the symbol of pillars in the temple of my God. This church, the church of Philadelphia, will be the pillar, will be a pillar in the temple of my God. It will be something that lasts for all time. And look at us now. 2,000 years later, reading about this faithful church. This faithful church, through the persecution, we're still reading and learning about today because they are a pillar of faith. We need pillars of faith in our lives. We need to be able to face whatever trial we are going through and know that our faith will not be shaken. Maybe my body will be shaken with an illness, with a disease. Maybe my mind will be shaken because of a relationship I have. Maybe my life is shaken because the circumstances are going through, but my faith will not be shaken. Let's stand to our feet. My faith will not be shaken. My faith will be a pillar because I will not be moved. My faith will not be moved. Can you remind yourself of that today? My faith will not be moved. My faith will not be shaken. There is no one, nothing that convince, can convince me that Jesus is not in my life and he is not providing for me. No matter what decisions I am going through, no matter what uncertainty I am going through, Jesus remains faithful to me and I will remain faithful to Jesus. No matter what persecutions we face throughout our society and culture, no matter what they say about us, we will not move our faith. Our faith will be unshakable because Jesus is with us. We are standing on a firm foundation, a rock that will not be moved. Jesus is that rock. Jesus has built his church, us, on that rock. We will not be moved. We will stay faithful like the Church of Philadelphia. We might be persecuted for our beliefs, but that's okay. I can take it. You can take it. We can take it because Jesus is with us. Amen, church? Our faith will not be moved. If you don't get anything else with that this morning, leave the church and remind yourself, my faith will not be moved regardless of my circumstances. My circumstances will change. Culture will change. The circumstances of our society will change. Their view of the church will continually change. But the church, our doctrine, our word, our faith will not change. Amen? Hallelujah. So encourage yourself today when you leave. 
you are stronger than you think you are. If the Church of Philadelphia can do it, the Church of the Mission Church can do it. We can do it. We are strong. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands for a moment. So, Lord, we come before you. The Mission Church comes before you. We want to be a pillar in your temple because we want to be unmovable in our faith, Father. So whatever struggles we are going through personally, whatever attacks we're going through culturally, Lord, we ask for strength because we are weak. We are weak, but we ask for strength today. Give us strength for our lives. Give us strength for our faith. Help us to reflect the attributes that Jesus has. Help us to love people unconditionally, to listen, to love them, and to lead them to you, Jesus. Help us to be a church that is a light in the darkness of this community. Help us to be leaders in our faith to people who desperately need you. Help us to be like the Church of Philadelphia. In your name that we pray, amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you need prayer this morning.